chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm excited to have Michelle Wilkins on the show today. Michelle is a recording artist, songwriter, keynote speaker, and the director of outreach for the nonprofit Go Overflow. Well, Michelle, I am so excited to have you on the show today. I'm so excited about our conversation and cannot wait for our listeners to get to know you because I'm just blown away. Thank you to our good friend, Jay Peters. Yes. He was our connector and he's like, you two ladies need to know one another. And uh, you and I had our first call and I'm like, you're right. We do. Oh. <laughs> I'm grateful for him. Yeah. He's a great, great guy. I think about your story. You have just got such an incredible story and you've done so many things in your short life because you're still <laughs> so young. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but let's go back and tell me about your mom and dad and then we'll get into a few other things. Sure. So I grew up in a missionary home. My dad's a missionary and we primarily did serving in South America. And so uh, Venezuela, El Salvador, Brazil, those places. And uh, I remember how it transformed my life. You know, I have a a world view of America and of the world. I just love the international community. My mom is from West Africa. You know, apparently when my dad went there to do some mission work before, of course, I was, you know, even on the earth. He had other things in mind other than Jesus. He found a wife. (laughs) And so I was born a year later after their marriage and she was brought here to the United States. And so um, growing up in that world, you know, we went to conferences with international students and just, I have a heart for, I love different cultures. Like I'm the girl who cries when the Olympics, when they're walking and you see all the different nations. I think it's gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful. But we did a lot of work in different countries in South America And it just transformed my heart. It made me not completely weird, but just a different kind of kid because I wasn't the one worried about getting the most, the latest shoes when I got back home, you know, because I had just seen the poorest of the poor and that wasn't important to me. So I was a little different in school because of those experiences, but I remember telling myself that I was going to be one of those people that would love the poor and that I would help them with all that I could do. Because when you can't save everyone, 
and you have to go home to your nice home and your pantry full of food. And you know that you just saw someone your age struggling and not having a mother or father or in an orphanage. It changes you. It makes you grateful, incredibly grateful. So yeah, that was my upbringing. I have two younger siblings. Yeah, we live in a small town called Frankfort, Kentucky. Uh, first, we lived in Midway, the tiny, tiny city, uh, town rather. And then we moved to Frankfurt. My dad was working at a university there and my mom worked in a factory. And I just was ready to see what God was going to do with my life. Mm -hmm. God planted a talent and a skill in you. I think you say you started singing when you were about five years old. Of course, again, your dad's a missionary, right? So that would fit right in that Michelle would get up and sing a song. <laughs> All the time. And whether I was ready or not, I'd be sitting there right. daydreaming. Oh, Michelle has a, a song for us today. And I was like, I do. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to sing? Like all on the spot. So that happened all the time, everywhere with my dad. And definitely you say so much about music and, you know, you've written, I feel like definitely music is my calling. Yes. Um, and music is such a powerful tool. Yes. And you say that it writes without borders. It lifts the heart. It is definitely the universal language. I recently heard this and I love it. It said, your career is what you get paid to do, mm -hmm. but your calling is what you were made to do. That is so on point. That's absolutely correct. And you were made for this. But, you know, God has brought all kinds of things into your life as well that I want to talk about. So you went on and so you would think, okay, there's this girl with this incredible voice, this musical ability. Most likely she's going to go into music. <laughs> but you go to Tennessee State University and you don't major in music. You actually major in political science. That's right. And the story behind that is my dad was worried about me going into an industry that is just so volatile or just, you know, you, you see the hundreds that make it, but you don't see the millions that don't. And he wanted me to do something that was a lot more stable. And so I said, okay, dad, I mean, you're footing the bill right now. So I'd love to teach. And I wanted to teach history and political science on the university level. So I said, well, that's what I'll do because that was what was accepted. You know, if someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a singer, you know, it was cute when you were five and six and seven, but when you're an adult and you say that, they don't applaud that at all. <laughs> so yeah, so I changed it, but my heart has always been music and to be able to share that gift with people around me. Yeah, and that's going to take us into a whole new series of questions here. But I have to back up for one moment because one of the things that you say is you didn't look like everybody else. No. You were like one of the only black young women in the school yeah. and you had some self-esteem issues. And then you guys moved to Frankfurt, a little bit larger of a town. And there were a few more, but still though, you struggled with some self-esteem. Is there something wrong? Why, why is my skin so dark? And that's right. You take us back to the story because you were struggling with self-esteem. And all of a sudden your mom said, pack your things. We're going to Ghana. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it happened so quickly. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, next month we're going to, you know, prepare your mind and heart, you know, and no, it was pretty abrupt. Maybe my parents were already talking about it, but I didn't know. Yes. I definitely had some self-esteem issues because what I saw the most popular girl, she was a beautiful white little girl. She was very popular. I wanted to be popular, but you know, my skin was dark and it wasn't always received well. There were some jokes, especially when your mom's from another country, they have a lot of African jokes. Like, do y'all wear shoes? and you're primitive and you're this 
and that, whatever. And so I began to not only have a problem with my skin, but embarrassed and ashamed that my heritage was connected to Africa. And so I struggled with that. And I remember my mom said <laughs> with her accent, mommy, pack your bags. We are going to Ghana. And I said, let's go. All right. All right. Cool. So we go. And I remember wondering, what is this going to look like? Because even on television, that's what you saw when you saw the kids that had the flies on their face and they were skinny. And and so I never saw beautiful cities and people wearing, you know, nice outfits. I never saw the picture of Africa the way I did when I was there in person. So when I get there, you talk about a shock. I could not believe that, no, it's not a bunch of huts and we're not walking around with no shoes on. These are beautiful people that are businessmen and lawyers and doctors. And there was a place that looked like I was in the middle of New York City. And it was, it shocked me. But what really got me was when I saw the women walking with such confidence, no one was walking around with their head down, sorry that they were living in Africa. They were incredibly full of confidence. And I remember, and perhaps they detected it, but I remember one of them saying, Michelle, come. And I sat with her. When I tell you she was absolutely stunning, not a stitch of makeup. She was absolutely, I remember just being in awe of this woman. And she said, you are beautiful. And she spoke it so deeply in my soul. I just remember thinking, you are me and I am you. This is where I come from. I should be proud of this. And I tell you, the moment we stepped foot back in Amer- on American soil, I was a changed little girl completely different. And you couldn't tell me anything, honey. I was very proud of who I was. And I was passionate about sharing that same pride with other people because I realized they didn't know. Right. Yeah. I remember you saying the women were regal and they were proud. So I love that. That was a pivotal time for you. You you had a really wise mom. (laughs) I love that story so much. But then you go on, you go into college. You were Miss Tennessee State University. Yeah. So even before then in Frankfort, Kentucky, I was the homecoming queen. And then I became the queen of my uh, high school. And that was because that particular year, they decided to bring in judges from outside of Kentucky. And so they came in from different states, right? And I think there were like 30 girls that were in this competition. And I remember winning that really boosted up my self-worth. It did. That I'm valuable and I'm seen and I am beautiful and I am. So it really did something for me. And then I went to college and then the opportunity to win again, the title and serve my university and my college community was, it was profound. And, you know, I still struggled a little bit with wanting to hide and those opportunities and those platforms would not allow that to happen. And I believe the Lord was really saying, it's not about the crown and the title, but I want to show you that you are born to be a mouthpiece for me, whether you're singing or speaking. And I need you to get comfortable here because this is where you're going to stay. And so it was almost like I was kind of forced into those positions because the opportunities that the Lord afforded me as I was growing up. Right. But you know, Michelle, God's plan and what he saw was so much bigger than what you saw. You were to be a mouthpiece for other little girls who were struggling with some of the same issues and women in general. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you being able to be affirmed that, no, you were created special, you're unique, you're beautiful, but we all are. Yes. You are the king's daughter. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So all of those experiences, though, were doing something in your heart because now you believe that, you know, your gifts are to empower, encourage, and exhort, especially women. And all of that was in preparation. That's it. Really, for 
what you're doing today. So let's fast forward. So you got your poli-sci degree. You had an opportunity then to start, you know, moving into your gift, your calling, which is music. And you got to do some really cool things. I mean, you (laughs) toured with Toby Mac. You toured with Matthew West. We all know and love Mendisa. How did that whole thing come about? (laughs) Well, as soon as I graduated, I was preparing to go to graduate school in D.C. And, you know, I was still in that that mindset of let's just let the music thing go. You know, I don't even know how to get into the industry. I don't have connections. And then the Lord moved and I got a job. There was a woman there by the name of Mandisa who worked there and no one knew Mandisa at the time. We became friends. We worked at Lifeway Christian Resources downtown Nashville in the customer service department. And, you know, we're selling VBS material and all that good stuff. And uh, we used to sing at the chapel together. One day she calls me and she says, I'm going to be on American Idol. And I was like, what? So she goes on American Idol. She has an amazing job. When she gets off of American Idol, she's offered a record deal. So she's starting her Christian music, you know, walk, right? What people don't know is, is that Mandisa actually sung background for me before she even went on the show. So I was trying to sing around, you know, in Nashville and just kind of get my bearings there. And I asked her to sing background for me and she traveled in Atlanta and did some stuff with me there. And it's so funny when we think about that now. And so she gets that record deal. And one day she calls me and she says, Hey, I'm going on tour. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, what? Of course. So next thing you know, I'm on a tour bus for the first time in my life, or I'm flying from city to city. You know, it was new, brand new. And of course, you know, when you go backstage, you're meeting all these other singers and that you hear on the radio and developing relationships with Toby and and Matthew West and Laura Story and all these wonderful people. And it was a dream come true. It was like, is this really happening? And I saw the Lord open up a door. I didn't push. I didn't try to make it happen. It just opened. And that was confirmation for me to let me know that this is what you're supposed to be doing. You didn't try to finagle your way into this. I opened the door. It gave me confirmation to just continue to go and move in that direction. No matter who thought it was cool or stable or okay, this is what God wants me to do. I love that. Well, I want to continue on with that conversation, but we need to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Michelle Wilkins. Hi, everybody. I just wanted to take a second and tell you about something our team at Technology Partners can do for your business. We have spent over two decades partnering with organizations and helping them solve their IT needs from a 360-degree perspective. A huge part of how we solve those needs is by developing custom applications of all shapes and sizes. If your team is looking for software and an out-of-the-box solution just isn't right, it's time to consider how we might be able to help. Go to tpi.co slash custom apps and learn more about our awesome capabilities. So, Michelle, tell me a little bit about what that was like touring with Toby Mac. And tell us, too, about the lessons that you've learned from music, singing professionally. What what are the lessons that maybe you can carry over into other doesn't matter what role you play. I'm going to jump back to when I was doing mission work with my dad. I remember seeing the power of God move as I would sing and lead worship and saw how God loved on people. And I said, I wanted to use my gift for that purpose. Fast forward back to the moment when I'm standing on stage with the lights and the smoke and the audience, you know, 20,000 plus people. And somewhere along the lines, I got off of that heart 
focus. And yeah, it was incredible to hit the stage with these incredible people. And they are who they say they are privately and publicly. They're good people. I mean, it was amazing just being able to tour from place to place and the people that we met and, and, the, and the camaraderie amongst the band members. We came like a family on the road. We cried together. We fought together. We prayed together. We went through some things together. And, and it was just a wonderful time. But in that place, I got a little lost in my heart and got caught up in all that. So I'm on stage and I'm thinking, how can I get to the front? Lord, release me to my great ministry. I want the lights, the camera, the action. I want I want all this. Yes, I look like I'm giving you praise and maybe 50% of that or maybe 40% of that is you. But I was really enjoying a lot of what was happening. And I'll just be honest with you, I was absorbing that stuff. And I remember praying that the Lord would release me to the world, to the nations. And I remember so clearly, I knew it was him. He said, you're not safe. And I was like, okay, what, what, what does that mean? And basically, I wanted the people to love me, but I had no intention of loving them back. If they're in the audience and they're going through stuff, I just didn't really have time to get involved or emotionally care or take the time to really invest in what's going on in your life. And that's what I knew. I'm not safe. Because if you put that kind of person on a platform who's just self-centered, self-focused, it's for them, there's going to be a lot of casualties along the way. And God is not going to be represented in the way that he intended or is supposed to be. So I said, Lord, forgive me. I want to love people and not protect myself from pain and hurt and disappointment. I want to break down that wall and I want to open up my heart to love people. And I tell you, he really opened up that opportunity for me to do that by me rolling up my sleeves. When I got off the road with them, an opportunity came for me to work at a church, a brand new church that was being built by C.C. Minans and our husband and our family. And they had me come on board. And next thing you know, I'm doing life with people like I never have before. And at first it was uncomfortable. It was incredibly uncomfortable. But I ended up being like a little pastor. I'm going, I'm visiting people in hospitals. I'm celebrating their kids' birthdays. I'm, I'm doing a lot of counseling. I've got 15 ladies coming to my house every Wednesday and we're sharing the word of God. And I'm being a leader in, in the church. And so I began to do life with people and it cultivated a love for people. And so now when I get on that stage, now my heart is not, oh gosh, I hope my hair looks perfect. Is my lip gloss right? And, and you know, I hope someone says, hey, I'll sign her for a record deal. It's Oh my gosh, the people's heart in this audience, Lord, release yourself into their, their situations, Lord. I pray that as we sing, that your spirit would fill the room and break yokes, break chains and deliver and set people free from the lies of the enemy. Now that's my focus. And that's what he always wanted from the very beginning. But I went through that process to just be honest with myself and the Lord and say, Lord, this gift is not for me. That's not what this is about. So yeah, and, and I know there's a lot of people out there who have a dream to sing or whatever their art is, but I would just encourage you to always be honest with the condition of your heart as you do that very thing, because it matters dramatically. God wants to use that gift to literally push back darkness off of people. And uh, if it's for any other purpose, you're misusing the gift. And I never want to stand before the Lord and he says, I gave you a precious gift. What did you do with it? Did you use it for me for yourself? So yeah, that's what I would definitely encourage you to do. 
Yeah. Dallas Willard has a book out that I'm reading right now, and it's about renovating the heart. Yes. And we know that out of the heart comes the issues of life. So what's in there is going to come out. So if it is all about you, yes. that's not why he gave you those talents and those gifts. So I just love that. Great, great advice. So I have to back up because I want you to talk about going back to when your mom took you to Ghana and you saw these women that were like queens and you know would wear the beautiful head wraps. So you have the queen's crown head wrap that was inspired by that. I want you to tell our listeners about that because I love the whole thing. Absolutely. Shortly after I graduated from college, I used to get calls from my friends who were now like guidance counselors or teachers. And they would say, I have a group of young girls who are dark skinned, who are getting teased terribly. Would you come and talk to them? And I want you to put on your queen stuff and come and just let them see you and speak to their hearts. And I realized at that moment, that was a replica moment of the time that I was in Africa and that woman spoke to my heart. And I got to do the same to young girls. I remember they were crying sometimes when I would meet them. They would just sit with me. I remember talking to a teenage, she was 18 years old, beautiful girl, but she hated her skin. And I got a chance to sit with her. And I realized I want to be able to give that same experience to young girls. And so I put together a Queen's Crown business. And basically what it is, is literally the African crown, uh, the head wraps that they wear in, in West Africa. And I want to make them available to young women or women and allow them to wear them. And I want them to straighten their backs, lift up their chin and walk like the queens that they are. And so that's why. I created a Queen's Crown. Right. And tell the listeners about every head wrap that is sold. A portion goes back to the Hummingbird House, right? Yes. And the Hummingbird House, oh gosh, you talk about a piece of my heart. So I do mission work, of course. I mean, that seed was planted in me a long time ago. I can't do anything about it. I've got to do it. It's just part of me. So these women, these young girls have been rescued out of sex trafficking or they themselves went into prostitution at the age of 13, 14, 15, very young, thinking that that's the only means of being able to make a living. Some of them already have children. And so our organization partners with an organization in, in Uganda, and they actually help rescue those girls out of that terrible situation and put them in a place called Hummingbird Home, where they can actually begin to heal. And they have a lot of counseling and all of that. So a portion of the proceeds to my head wraps goes towards the Hummingbird House. I love the fact that I get whatever I do, whether it be singing, I'm always going to give a portion back. If I'm in the head wrap, whatever it is, I'm always going to give a portion back. And I always ask the Lord, Lord, make me a wealthy woman because I've got a lot of work to do. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people need that wealth, right? Well, you know, I want you to share your story if you would. And I know it's painful, but you had what I call a life interruption. Mm -hmm. And what did you learn through that? So tell our listeners about that. So my husband and I were super excited. We're pregnant. And I'm telling everybody, our pastors, our friends, our family members. And I remember the day that we went to the doctor, the nurse's face fell. And she said, honey, I'm so sorry. Once there was a heartbeat when we went the first couple of times. And this time she had to tell us that there was no longer a heartbeat. I remember being in denial. Like, this isn't happening to me. Like, what in the world? Like, this is a dream. She said, I'm so sorry. And my husband was like, please check again, which I could tell the nurse was like, I do not want to have to say it again. But she did. And he just collapsed on my chest and just wept. And I just sat there really numb. And I remember getting into the car 
the volume was turned all the way down, but you could see the name of the song playing and it was called Count It All Joy. And I remember it irritated me to see that because in the past when I would read that scripture, I would say it's impossible to count anything joy when you're going through a very heartbreaking moment. I remember just watching, staring at those words and I'm feeling anger swell, frustration and irritation swell and pain. And I'm feeling all of this happening all at once. And then I remember, I'm telling you, I can't even put it to words, but I remember I felt like a darkness opening up, like beckoning me to come in, like, come on in. It makes sense for you to come in this place. Let us just, you need to be pitiful. Everybody would understand. And I remember at that moment, I stared back at those words and it was almost like they were haunting me that counted all joy. Like I literally have a choice in this very moment. I can do what my natural inclination is, is to just fall into this pit and just be there for God knows how long, or I can actually try his word in this crazy moment. And I remember kind of through my teeth, I said, I'm going to do this your way. I want you to show me that your word is real. Because at this point, what do I have to lose, right? So we're headed home and I just start to hum. The only thing I knew to do was just to worship. Did I feel like it at first? Absolutely not. But I knew that I just had to start somewhere. So I started humming. I remember my husband looking over at me thinking, are you humming? And I just started humming. It changed into words. And I began to sing, you are good, good. Oh, Lord, you are good. You are good, so good. And I began to just praise him and worship him in that darkest of moments. And I remember I got home and literally six hours later, now at this point, I'm in full blown worship and I won't stop. I won't stop. And I'm upstairs and I'm singing. And I remember the moment when God walked into the room. Now, mind you, my husband's downstairs. He has no idea what's happening upstairs other than he can hear me sing. But at the exact same time, I felt the Lord walk into the room. And I mean, it was overwhelming to the point where it took my breath away. I I stopped singing. I was like, you are here. Oh, it was so intense. My husband runs from downstairs and says, baby, keep singing, keep singing. The atmosphere in my house completely changed. And when I think about it, I just get, I get, (laughs) I have not dealt with that before. I've never experienced that after, but he came into the room and I promise you, he pushed back the darkness off of me. The darts that were coming, the, the accusations of how could God let this happen to you? You're a good Christian. You deserve better than this. Look at how you serve him, right? All of a sudden this feeling of, of entitlement started trying to jump out of me. Like, I don't deserve this. How could God do this to me? I'm a good person. Well, that's foolish thinking. You know, it rains on the just and the unjust. We don't know why things happen, right? You don't get to beat your chest and say, well, I serve you, God, so therefore I should be protected from everything. That's not the way that works, right? But in the middle of worship, it was almost like a force field that kept those words from penetrating my heart and causing me to be a bitter woman or to drown in guilt. Like, what did I do? Is this my fault? I'm telling you, the power of the sweet, mighty Lord surrounded me and my husband like a shield. And I remember that worship experience was, there are literally no words to express that moment. And the next day, my mom and I went to the grocery store and I remember waking up thinking, oh my gosh, I feel okay. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not sorrowful. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to let the why, the unanswered why get in between me and God. Because sometimes we'll hold God hostage if we don't get a reason as to why bad things have happened. So I remember taking why like a blanket, laying it on that sweet baby. And in my imagination, I lifted up my sweet one and the reasons that I may never know why. And I lifted it up to the Father and I said, in your hands, I commit all things. 
you are still good. And I will not let anything in this world get between me and you. You're far more precious to me than anything. <laughs> that moment was just amazing. So the next day we're at the store and I take two onesies and I put them in the cart. And my mom very carefully says, sweetheart, what are you doing? And I said, these are the onesies that my children will wear home from the hospital. And she said, in Jesus name, amen. And sure enough, about three months later, I was pregnant with a little boy, wonderful pregnancy, healthy pregnancy. He's a joy. He's three years old. I'm currently pregnant with my second child, I'm seven months pregnant. And I had that onesie, the second one, onesie, just hanging in my closet, like it will be filled. I just believed it. Now, mind you, I've had several miscarriages, but every single time I held on to the Lord and I said, I'm not going to declare that you are not good. I refuse it. And it strengthened me and enabled me to realize that what the enemy wants to do is that he'll allow you to stay in church, keep going to your conferences, keep singing in the choir. But a woman who goes through stuff like this, she'll take several steps back with her faith in God because she's afraid of being disappointed. It assaults your faith and it actually sometimes stagnates or prevents you from being the fullness of what God intended because of miscarriages or something that happened that doesn't have an answer to it. And so he was after my progress in God and I'm not giving that to him. No way. <laughs> I think this is one of only two times that I've like actually cried on my podcast. <laughs> but I'm glad we have no video right now because it would not be pretty. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. I just, I love everything that you said and so grateful for your little three-year-old yes. and this new one that's coming along. But there's a couple other things I want to talk about before we wrap up the show here. So COVID this year has been like none other, yeah. but you wrote a song to honor those people on the front line. Yes. Thank you, God, for the nurses and the doctors and the firemen and the paramedics and all of those people on the front line. And the song is called Rescue. I told you I kind of had it on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is so cool. You wrote this song. Four talented artists came together mm -hmm. in 19 different states were involved, 11 countries. You united so many people around kindness and just honoring our first responders. Can you tell our listeners how can they get to that song? Okay, so you're going to go to myshowmusic.com. It is actually a free gift. I'm not charging for this song. I want people to take this song and feel empowered. Share it with someone that you know who is on the front lines because they are indeed superheroes. And that's why we did this song. I got to partner with a Grammy Award winning Mr. Talkbox. We met on the road with Toby Mac. That's how we got to know each other. And so it was an incredible project where we put our heart and soul into it. We wanted them to see how we were united as nations, as a world, right? And so I reached out to my connections in Uganda. And of course, my dad is a mission, like I said. So he had people from Nepal and we had people from France and we had people from different countries all around the world. And then of course, many different states and they would hold up a sign saying, I'm a superhero. And they were doctors and they were policemen and they were people who were on the front lines. And it was a very powerful video. And uh, I want to share that with people. The word that you just used to describe it is the way I would describe it. It's powerful. So I want our listeners to please download that song. I know you're going to love it. So Michelle, this is something extra. What's the something extra that every leader needs in your opinion? I really believe that the power of discernment is absolutely needed. 
people hear differently. They receive information differently. They communicate differently. Some people are the way they are because of trauma from their childhood or a heartbreaking moment uh, that they never really recovered from. And so you've got to be able to see beyond what is being shown to you and hear beyond what is being spoken to you and being able to discern a heart and know how to deal with them. It's not a cookie cutter situation when you're a leader. And so I believe the power of discernment helps you to know with wisdom how to deal with everyone that you're working with. And that's very powerful because you want, you know, whatever you're doing, you want people to feel seen and heard that they're contributing something important. Not like, oh, I've got a boss and he's, you know, get, or she's getting on my nerves or whatever. But I see you and you're important to me and I care about your why. How's your family? Some people need that. And some people just want it strictly business. But you've got to be able to know how to deal with people. And I think that's really important to have really good, keen discernment. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think about some of the iconic leaders like Truett Cathy mm-hmm. you know, that founded Chick-fil-A. You'll talk to people. People that have worked at Chick-fil-A and Truett never wanted to talk about the business. <laughs> He'd say, Michelle, how's your family? Tell yes. me about your family. How's your dad doing? I mean, I love that. I mean, he wanted to know about the person and caring about that person. And so you're spot on there. So Michelle, I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners, and we've talked about a lot of different things. <laughs> We've talked about the Queen's Crown head wraps. We've talked about your music. We've talked about a lot of different things. But is there something specifically that you'd want the listeners to know? How can they get involved? Yes, thank you. So I'm actually starting a brand new show and podcast, and it's called Embracing Freedom Today. And it's going to be on the Life Network for Women app. You can find it on Roku and Apple and things of that nature. So March the 3rd, my Embracing Freedom Today podcast will start. And then Embracing Freedom Today show is actually going to be uh, released on the 17th of this month. It's a platform for me to share my music, but also to teach. I talk about my struggles with infertility and how I walk through that with the grace of God. I talk about the heart and dealing with being honest about where my heart was and just all kinds of things that try to come against the freedom that God intended for us. And so I love to teach. So that is something that's really important to me. So everything else is connected to that. The music, my work that I do in Uganda, even the Queen's Crown. You go to myshowmusic.com, you'll find every aspect of my life on my website. But Embracing Freedom Today is a new platform that I get to share my heart with people. And I'd love for people to join on Instagram and on Facebook, Embracing Freedom Today with My Show Wilkins. Wonderful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you for making time to be on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this opportunity, Lisa. Thanks again to My Shell. As a special bonus, here is one of my favorite songs that she has recorded, Rescue.
of his soul He tried to run but it wouldn't let go It's a pain he wish he didn't know Saves evil dealt the last blow Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.